All right. Hello. Here we are, everybody. We are here to continue this robust conversation that we've been having for a couple of weeks now around the holidays and boundaries and family gatherings. And we're going to just kind of keep theming this throughout the next couple of weeks as we are really full force in the holidays right now. And that Dr. Jen and I have found that more than ever after having kids and, and entering motherhood, all this stuff kind of becomes a little bit even more stressful than it was before. So hopefully some of our own experiences and insights and encouragements can help you guys through this time as well. You're listening to Bloom After Baby, the podcast. We're your hosts, Rachel Daggett and Jen Jordan. We're a therapist and a doctor and and both moms of two. We're here to discuss the mental health and wellness needs that are unique to motherhood. From confusing hormone swings to your expanding body to boundaries in tricky relationships, we'll give you the information you need to experience motherhood in a way that feels good to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. So, you know, the holiday season comes with a lot of fun and joy and happiness for some, especially if you have fond memories of the holidays as a child. And for others, it comes with dread of uncomfortable family dynamics or gatherings, Christmas gift debt, and general stress. And for most of us, it's some combination of both. But two major topics that constantly come up around this time of year in my private practice with working with clients, as well as my personal life, is that of Uh, family dynamics, and family gatherings. So we're going to touch on both those things a little bit today. And yeah, we have thoughts on both to share with you guys. So we covered a lot in the last two episodes, mostly about boundary setting and the importance of communicating needs and plans with our partners and our family members this time of year. And one piece that we didn't get to speak about directly was this idea of toxic family dynamics and how they play a role in the holidays and then how those dynamics that are difficult can really play a role and contribute to our family stress and then how to manage that. So one thing Jen asked me when we were talking about this episode was how I even define that term toxic relationship. It's a term that's thrown around a lot and I think at times can be misused. Not every quote difficult person or difficult relationship is toxic. So We want to be careful not to overuse that term and just kind of throw it around willy nilly. But when I think about that and when I do use that really or that term with clients, when I'm working with them and their family dynamics, I look at a couple of things. I look at the behaviors that are going on within the relationship and I look at how the person is feeling. So you can look at kind of like objectively what's happening or in the, in the relationship, what the dynamics and behaviors and patterns are in the relationship itself. And then more subjectively, how you feel and kind of what comes up for you personally in that. So some of the behaviors that are common and are problematic in relationships that we may describe as toxic are passive aggressive comments, relationships where there's a lot of high conflict, yelling, direct or indirect insults, or generally abusive language. Obviously, any, any, any form of 
physical violence, even gossiping or talking behind people's back. So acting one way towards somebody else and then turning around and talking smack when they're not looking or taking advantage. So um, there's also gaslighting, which again is a term that's thrown around a lot, but generally people who gaslight a lot tend to lie a lot and tend to make you feel like your reality or your experience is not true. So maybe somebody who does say or do things that are hurtful or harmful, and then in the next breath will deny that fact or invalidate your feelings or your experience of that. So those are some of, some of the behaviors that are common in these relationships. And then the other piece of that is how you are feeling in the relationship. And that may be about the person and what they are doing and how they are being. And it also may be about you. So it isn't always that it's a them problem. Sometimes it's an us thing, right? And so we may notice that in certain relationships for attachment reasons, for trauma history reasons, for personal preference or political belief reasons, there may be people who bring up certain feelings in us that are really triggering. Maybe certain people bring up things that remind us of our childhood wounds or of a really tough past relationship or traumatic experience we've had. And that's not always somebody else's fault, right? It's also not our fault, but it is our responsibility to own and manage those feelings that are coming up within us. So it does mean you should zoom out and take a look at that relationship and how you want to engage in that relationship in this point in your life in a way that's going to be serving and honoring to your needs, but also kind and respectful to the other person. That made sense. Do you have any other thoughts, Jen? Yeah. So I like how you made that distinction between the person's behaviors or behaviors within that relationship and your feelings in the relationship. And I think that's such an important realization that you can recognize you're in a toxic relationship without actually recognizing the behavior you don't like. So if, if you feel anxiety or you feel bad about yourself, you feel a lack of trust, you feel insecure, you can recognize that this is a toxic relationship by identifying those feelings in yourself without quite knowing what that person's behavior or trigger is, which is really important because then you're able to create those boundaries, the boundaries that we're going to talk about that are about protecting yourself, your mental well-being, and also about preserving the relationship. That's what we talked about in the last episode, that boundaries really are about how you can become closer with your loved ones and protect that relationship as much as possible. And so recognizing how you feel within the relationship, even if you can't quite pinpoint the behaviors that are upsetting, because sometimes they're really subtle and sneaky, can still be how you recognize those relationships. Yes, yes, yes. So true. So true. So one one example that's coming up hearing you talk, Jen, an example of a behavior or type of uh, language or communication that you might find triggering in a relationship with somebody and thus feel that the relationship is toxic, maybe food talk. And since it's the holidays, food talk and body talk tends to be very commonplace and tends to come up a lot. And specifically, you know, I, I work 
50% of my private practice has been working with eating disorders. So this is obviously a topic I've covered a lot with clients, but even without having had that, if you have any sensitivity towards food or food topics or body image, those comments about food and good and bad food and good and bad bodies and whatnot can be really triggering. And a lot of people don't want to be a part of conversations like that, especially around the holidays. And especially if you're trying to help your kids form a, a healthy and balanced relationship with food and their bodies themselves. So this is obviously a personal example for me, but I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. So there are certain people in my personal life who do tend to talk about food, right? And diets and bodies and body size. And I, for some time early in my recovery from my own eating disorder, had a hard time with it and probably felt a little bit tempted to, I guess, emotionally or legitimately cut people out because I didn't want to be around that. And I didn't like that. But it took me a while to really understand like you're saying, Jen, what that specific thing was that I was having such a hard time with in the relationship. And then when I became more clear on what it what it actually was that was bothering me, I was able to set my own boundaries around those topics and those behaviors while still being able to maintain the relationships as a whole. So, and what that means, again, with the boundaries, it's me deciding what I'm going to do when those things come up versus trying to control or change what other people are going to do. So yes, I had conversations with some people about, you know, comments that I do or don't want to be said to my children about their bodies and food. But mostly it's me deciding that I am intentionally going to either not engage in or politely excuse myself when those topics come up. And that's a way I protect my own peace. And so that is an example of that where like, again, just because a relationship feels difficult or triggering or toxic doesn't always mean that there's something inherently wrong with the other people, but it means there's probably some topic or behavior or thing that's happening that you can identify within yourself. There's a reason why that's triggering for you and you can effectively set a boundary to protect yourself without having to completely cut off the relationship or try to change or control the other person. That's a great example. And I think such a timely example right now with family gatherings coming up. And undoubtedly that is a conversation and a topic that a lot of people face this time of year. Circling back to how it impacts you uniquely in motherhood too. I think there's also that element now where some of those comments and narrative that we've now identified maybe are upsetting or triggering for us. Now we're also having to think about how that impacts mm -hmm. our children, or maybe those comments are even being made in front of our children to our children. So it adds a whole different layer where you're kind of thinking about, okay, well, maybe this is a boundary that I was able to set for myself, but now your boundaries look different. And there's another mm -hmm. protective element when you're factoring in kids. And I'd love to hear more about, you talked a little bit about kind of the pre-boundary setting, whether or not you're deciding to continue a relationship, if you're maintaining a relationship, maybe some of the actual boundaries around where and how you interact and things like that. 
next step mm-hmm. now going into the holidays say you've decided you've you're you haven't you're not estranged from this person you're gonna gather with them for the holidays you're gonna have a meal together so I'd love to hear more about like that second step too when you go in when you go into these situations and how do you prepare for that what does that look like mm-hmm. yeah well I think it really so much comes back to that prepare piece and it, it's tough because that is a lift in and of itself and it's not always going to be you're not always going to be able to sit down and have like a working thought session about these gatherings, especially um, as a mother. Right. But at least having that self insight of like, okay, here's the things that I'm anticipating might come up. And here's the things that I'm anticipating might feel yucky for me. Um, You know, you know, your family. And so I think a lot of it is going in with not like, expecting the worst, but with the likely expectations, like you have, it's, it's likely that you have a lot of data on what these family gatherings typically look like. And something I, you know, kind of a mindfulness exercise that I teach a lot of my clients when they go into these types of gatherings that they know are going to be either awkward or, or end up being dramatic or uncomfortable or so-and-so is going to get in a fight or so-and-so is going to get drunk and say some insulting things is that kind of taking a stance of the, the curious observer and letting yourself sort of like be present. But when you start to notice these things happen, zoom out and kind of watch it and just be the observer, like take yourself out of the situation for a second so that you don't accidentally get involved or jump into the train wreck that's happening. It's kind of like let the tornado occur without jumping in to it because that's when it's going to impact you directly. But if you can kind of like create some space between you and those triggers, whether it's physically and like leaving the room for a little bit or taking a break. And that's a big thing that I, I encourage people to do with their partners specifically. If if things are going awry or not feeling good and kids are kind of like a great excuse for that. <laughs> like, Oh, Sally needs to take some space. We're going to go outside and help let her run around for a little bit. Or if you're, if you're breastfeeding and sometimes it's like the best excuse, like, Oh, I got to go feed the baby. <laughs> but it's really just being able to create that space again, whether it's physical and tangible or practicing mindfulness and grounding exercises and like, kind of really escaping for a minute so that you don't jump in and get wrapped up in the dysfunction. And then another piece of that going into these is that just because it's the holidays, all the grievances and issues that do exist in your family, if they do, still exist on Christmas and still exist on Thanksgiving. And likely will be even more blaring, especially if there's drinking involved and especially if there's people together who aren't always together and there's stress. So just kind of going into that, being aware of that fact. So you aren't surprised if things are a little bit more escalated than usual around this time of year and really just managing your expectations. And again, always, always knowing where your control and your power lies. And that is in 
what you do, how you respond, and the decisions you make for you and your household, and not thinking or trying to control what other people are going to do. I love that explanation. And I think you really highlighted an important first step with the actual responding in those situations where finding space, curiosity Mm -hmm. uh, to allow you to find space. And that finding space piece is huge. And I'll just weave in kind of a little (laughs) science-y tidbit there too, that particularly in the postpartum period, when we have a different, really a different operating system going on in our brains where that connection between your rational thinking part of your brain and then the reactionary part of your brain, that connection is different and it's actually sort of weaker in the postpartum period. And so we can be activated more easily and we don't have the same feedback. We might not have the same feedback that's helping us kind of regulate some of that stress reactive response. And so the idea of of finding space is so important because it allows us to take a moment for that, that part of our brain to kind of come back online and use our best, most rational thinking. And from that perspective, about 90 seconds or so really allows that stress response to pass where you try to use that 90 seconds to be curious, to observe the situation. And then you're going to use potentially better judgment or, or your more true authentic judgment and not even in the post, just the postpartum period. I mean, really in motherhood, our stress tolerance is often lower. You know, we've had all these stressors. And when you look at, we use that analogy of the stress bucket and you're already near the top. And so just a few more drops might tip you over the edge. And I think Rachel and I have spoke to that before in prior episodes where we've had these um, reactions of anger and rage, maybe saying hurtful things that feels really out of character um, that's happened in motherhood that has to do with having a different level of stress tolerance than you might be used to having. So anyways, going back to that pause being so essential because that can allow you to really show up the way you want to be showing up with your reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important and so normalizing and validating. And it just really makes me feel so strongly about uh, and just so much empathy for for mothers who are going through these stressors specifically in that first year, especially if you have a newborn or if you're like pregnant and, and towards the end of, end of a pregnancy or going through either of those majorly vulnerable times. And I just, if, if that's you and you're listening, I, I just want to give you permission not that you need it, but you might feel like you need it to stay home if you feel like you need to, you know, and, and reel it in and be okay with doing less this time and having people come to you if they're the people you want around. But it's such a sacred, sacred time when you have a newborn and when you're in that whole first year of postpartum and it's so important to protect our energy because like Jen, Jen says so well and describes so well with the scientific language, our brains are not the same. And it is so much harder to really manage and tolerate these distressing things that maybe we had an easier time managing prior. And, and then another piece of that, I think too, is that what Jen and I have talked about is how much kind of harder and more taxing it is 
to be a people pleaser. And if your family or more extended family is used to you, like going along with the flow and not really speaking up, it might feel really, really, really hard for you to speak up and to go against the grain and to let people down when you're in this phase of new motherhood and you simply have less to give. And if that is you, just know that just because it feels uncomfortable and feels unnatural and feels wrong, doesn't mean you're doing something wrong and it's okay to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think becoming comfortable accepting that uncomfortability is really important because you're right for a lot of people, it isn't going to feel comfortable and there isn't going to, it might not be well received and, and being able to accept that. And I think we, one of our posts recently on Instagram, we talked about sort of that decision-making triage you can go through with your family. And again, as a mother now where maybe you were a people pleaser and you were fine to sacrifice some of your preferences or desires But now it means sacrificing that for your family, for your kids too. And so we talked about kind of the triage you can go through of asking, is this something that we as a family want to do? Me and my my partner, my kids. If the answer is no, okay, well then does someone else want us to do it? And if the answer is yes, who is that person? Is that person's preferences or priorities or that cause more important than your yours, your child, your family's in that moment? And there's not a right or wrong answer there, but really thinking through that. And if the answer there is no, then you you don't need an excuse. That's another piece that's hard to embrace is just being able to say no without an excuse. And yeah, sitting with that awkwardness. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And another piece it's it's coming to mind. So we're not too all over the place with this conversation, but having a conversation just last night with a friend who's going through some navigating some of these difficulties right now with the holidays and with in-laws. And this is a common, common struggle. And she's kind of was going back and forth, whether she wanted to address some things that had come up with her in-laws that were hurting her and were harmful or to kind of continue the pattern, the family pattern and dynamic as it has been for 30 plus years of just having no closure and no open discussion about things that were said and done that were hurtful and not okay and just keeping the peace, right? And we were talking through it and kind of the main main thing I wanted to encourage her on was that the number one single most important relationship and factor in that situation is her and her husband. So ultimately, no matter what you decide to do, if there's a a situation with your in-laws, it is imperative to make sure you and your partner are on the same page and that you both feel supported and heard in your own needs and experiences within that relationship. And that's, yeah, I guess like You know, there's a lot of things that can come up around conflicts with in-laws and parents in adulthood around the holidays, especially after having kids when everyone wants to see the kids. And I think sometimes there can feel like there's this ownership people feel of your little ones that they somehow are owed to be able to experience these times with, with littles. And just remembering that you know, a lot of times in in the couples therapy world, 
one of the major things, one of the major drivers of separation and divorce is conflict between the couple about one of the in-law sides. So just really making sure that if there is conflict of interest or issues coming up with in-laws or parents, really prioritizing your relationship and your connection and your communication with your partner above all else. Yeah, definitely. That's a great reminder. And then I like that you also kind of pointed out with major unresolved family issues or traumas that boundaries aren't necessarily about Mm -hmm. resolving all of those because that's absolutely not possible. (laughs) And with some people, you might be able to maintain a certain level of a positive, healthy relationship for your family, for your children without resolving some of those issues, but there's still boundaries there. And so those boundaries defined by you and your partner and what that looks like in those interactions for your family, but recognizing that there are areas that you'll never be able to resolve with that person doesn't mean, um, so resolving them looks different. It's, it's something between your partner and, or like within yourself. Yeah. Yes. There's so much nuance, which I think is part of why, like, I feel kind of like nervous and hot and sweaty talking about this because there is so much nuance and I'm just recognizing that I don't really have, I don't, I don't really have a scripted answer for any of this because it is so dependent on the specific personalities that you're working with and the histories and the family dynamics. And, and like, I I wholeheartedly agree. Like, you know, I just did a post last night about how avoiding tough conversations and uncomfortable conversations really can lead to diminishing returns in relationships. And at the same time, sometimes it's not worth it anymore to keep having those tough conversations, right? Sometimes those boundaries can go unsaid. And sometimes there's no, there's just not a conversation that needs to be had, but maybe just some unspoken separation or distance that's happening, right? So yes, not every boundary needs to be spoken out loud and not every conflict or issue will be resolved. It just won't. And that's just reality. And I think that is something that's hard for some people. That's such a, yes. Yeah, no, that's such a good reminder. And I think you're right. Like the scripting piece of it in certain situations is helpful and you indefinitely in your preparation coming up with some of the language and responses that you want to use, but there's not a cookie cutter scripting that's going to be very helpful and apply to every scenario. And then, yeah, I love that idea of recognizing when you continue to have the same troubleshooting conversation um, with your partner or your family that is not helpful. And it's just like regurgitating this negative situation and this negative conversation over and over again. And I've seen that firsthand with like dealing with narcissistic personalities. And Mm -hmm. you often see these behaviors that are so manipulative and feel, yeah, just can be so hurtful. And each time it happens, you have that same conversation. I can't believe they did this and they're not concerned. It's like Mm -hmm. the definition of insanity and expecting Mm -hmm. something different, right? That point where you decide your boundaries mean just cutting off that troubleshooting conversation and you just kind of the boundary being partially omitting a reaction in those situations, just holding fast to not a non-reaction or non-response. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> totally. Yep. And that's exactly what happens when we end up not meaning to and not realizing it, but becoming a part of the tornado and the dysfunction when we continue engaging in the same pattern over and over when it's become clear that it's not going to change. And that, have you heard the gray, the gray rock or read about it, that, that approach to those types of relationships and personalities? No, no. <laughs> so specifically with, I think the, the first time it was coined and I'll link this, a link to this in the notes, but was around being in relationship with somebody with, with narcissistic personality traits and, the gray rock method is just that it's, it's the non-responsiveness. It's the non-reactiveness. It's kind of being as boring and mundane as possible instead of feeding into the drama and into the continual cycle. It really been one of, one of the most effective strategies that I've been able to teach clients who have, who are in relationships with people like that. And really not even just for narcissism, but any kind of relationship where it feels like there's this perpetual drama that, that's happening or coming up or the same conflict over and over, it's really just like deciding not to engage. Yeah. Oh, I love that analogy. And especially for narcissistic traits, you're right. That boringness. I'd heard, I'd heard that elsewhere, that the more boring with your response, you can be the better. Yeah. I'm going to use that mantra this season. <laughs> great rock, great rock, great rock. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the, yeah, the one last thing I want to know before we wrap up this conversation was around getting unsolicited parenting advice over the holidays and at these holiday gatherings, which happens quite often. And this is not my own stuff. This comes from the incredible Dr. Becky, and I'm just probably going to talk about her every episode. But again, I will link this in the notes to be able to cite her and her work correctly and not take credit for this, but her kind of script that she uses and teaches for getting unsolicited parenting advice. For example, one of one thing about this might be um, my three-year-old will not sit at the table and eat a meal. He just doesn't, he won't do it. He will at home if it's just us, but if we're in any sort of gathering where other people are there. He's, he's very highly sensitive. He gets very overwhelmed easily. And as we all know, when toddlers feel overwhelmed, they act a little crazy. So we've learned, my husband and I have learned to just not push it, just let him do his thing. And it doesn't bother us. There are other people in the family who may think it's ridiculous or not understand it and have comments about that. So if someone if you have a situation like that and someone were to say something like, oh, you just need to make him sit for five minutes or whatever it might be, Dr. Becky's suggestion is, I can handle this. If I need any help or support, I'll let you know. So that's that's it. I can handle this. If I need any help or support, I'll let you know. And I can't tell you how many times I wish I'd had that script in the past. <laughs> So I just wanted to share all that with you guys going into the holidays, just so you have a little thing you can keep in your back pocket to say, because I oftentimes find myself speechless in those types of situations. I love that. Yeah, that's super helpful. And, And even the expectation, too, that goes with that. I think from a developmental perspective, for toddlers, 15 minutes is like the max that they developmentally 
should be able to or could be able to sit at a table. And so that idea that, you know, they're not going to live up to an expectation beyond that. And so having language that you don't need to explain that, but language to respond to those unrealistic expectations. Yes, totally. Yeah. And like, and without feeling like you have to justify it or like educate them on it, you just, that's like a very clear, boring response, right? That's like probably not going to incite a huge reaction from anybody. So. Which is the theme of all of these boundaries and scripting is that it is not your duty to educate and explain Mm -hmm. your boundaries about your decision and no can be your script. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. an explanation. Yes. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, happy holidays, everybody. I hope some of this was helpful to you and we will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Rachel, thank you so much for your insights, your professional wisdom, your personal insights. And I hope this is helpful for everybody as they embark on the holiday season. Definitely feel free to find us over on Instagram at Bloom After Baby. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear where you're pain points are, any questions or issues that keep coming up for your family during the holidays. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us know which conversations you're needing the most. And we'll keep bringing you new episodes every week. So hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for any links or resources that we mentioned. We're on this journey with you, so be sure to find us on the gram and TikTok. Plus, go to bloomafterbaby.com and grab our free guides on all things motherhood created just for you. Breathe, be well, and keep growing, mama.